I've always been fascinated by death. The feel of it. The smell of it. And the stillness. Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different topic each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. And we are deathly pleased to be here on this special Valentine's Day edition of Death Nerve with our strangest, most beautiful friend in all of Philadelphia, Angel. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. And I I think I can speak for me and Sam both when I say that Angel is someone who we both greatly admire. Your focus in the fetish world revolves around more extreme BDSM scenes while taking into account the importance of communication and consent. And your work as a model and a sort of provocative performance artist combining skin crawling horror with eroticism has graced the pages of hustler magazine and countless computer screens uh what makes your work so exciting is how it simultaneously feels transgressive and dangerous but oddly wholesome in a weird way sort of (laughs) and i don't know i think you fucking rock and i'm so glad you're here and i can't think of a better person to be our collective valentine while we talk about one of our favorite topics necrophilia yeah i think you're the first person i've ever met who genuinely loves valentine's day and i was so shocked by this information that i think it weirdly has made me kind of warm up to valentine's day especially if we could talk about necrophilia movies (laughs) Yeah, I really liked it since I was a kid, the concept of like things being like cute with hearts and pink. But then also, I really like giving people things, especially Valentine's and any excuse to give people I care about something that I know means I love them without them feeling weird about it, which is great because a Valentine on Valentine's Day is very normal. It's so nice. And I always forget about it. Like, I forget about the concept of Valentine's until someone gives me, like, a mixtape and a card. And I'm like, this is the nicest thing I've ever gotten in my entire life. Like, I well, can't Well, especially if you have a person who makes all the cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, That's not, I'm not talking about that Hallmark bullshit. You yeah. Know? The last, I think, the last marathon that we had at my house before the pandemic was a Valentine's day marathon where we watched our theme was alien sex movies and they made everyone these great cards, which one of which is still on our fridge downstairs. It's awesome. And one of the movies that we're going to talk about on our necrophilia Valentine's day special episode, I love saying that, uh, (laughs) is a movie that I've been like wanting to cover forever and and Sam has been saying, oh, we'll do it on Valentine's Day. We'll do it on Valentine's Day. And then uh, we were hanging out with you recently, Angel, and and we mentioned that we were thinking about doing Necromantic 2 on an episode. And you said that you were working on a necrophilia zine. So in 2019, uh, I realized that I love Valentine's Day and my two favorite film genres are horror films and romance films. And I realized... Every year I try to watch like a lot of things within the same theme. So I started creating these movie lists that followed a theme for a horror romance list. And last year it occurred to me that I could actually do a zine with it and make some type of like something ephemeral to go with the actual list. I've been doing these for a while and some of the concepts have been like Lupercalia with werewolf films and like sadomasochistic stuff with like killing your lover at the end and last year's was cybersexual so it was robot on robot or robot on flesh and whoa yeah sorry hang on can i pause you really quick what was what were some this is a list of movies you're talking about right and doing kind of like mini marathons with them yeah so i would just spend the entire month of january watching any amount of films that i thought would work with the theme and then i would pick 14 can i ask you if what were your robot highlights were there any standouts oh god no i'm just like thinking about like one of the very first boners i ever had in my entire life 
was watching Lawnmower Man. Not really robot. That's cyber. What am I saying? Never mind. That doesn't count. But there's like computers and shit. Lawnmower Man? Lawnmower Man, yeah. Wow. They got sex in that movie. And I was a little kid. It was on TV. That's wild. Yeah. I remember I, I watched it on TV. And as soon as it was over, I was like, oh, cool. The movie was great. Ma, I watched uh, Lawnmower Man. I'm going to go rent it because I, <laughs> I knew it would be uncut, you know? So we went to the video store and like they didn't cut anything out. It was, it was like, it's a tame movie, you know? It's so funny to think back on movies you watched as a kid before you, like when you were starting to grasp that like sex is a concept, but you didn't fully underst- or understand what that meant. Like I thought Batman was hot because he wore a black latex suit, which well, like that's that's one of those things <laughs> explains that explains a lot. You don't necessarily adult. grow out of that kind of shit. <laughs> no, you don't. I think some of the highlights. I just had to look up my list from last year because I've been so focused on the one for this. Yeah, year, once but... necrophilia gets in your head, it's like hard to. <laughs> Who cares about robots? You can't just bounce back. No problem. It's almost the same thing. Um, it it is. <laughs> But the highlights from last year is I actually watched Robotrix for the first time. It is such, it's a perfect film that encapsulates the idea of getting with a robot and having like a really deep romance that's more than just sexual. Also, like Electric Dreams, that's an easy one. I love that movie. And then even uh, the porn film Program for Pleasure. Have you seen this one, Sam? It sounds familiar. Is this an 80s movie? Yeah, it's from 1981. And the film itself is about a guy who's just trying to create basically the perfect sex slave, honestly. And eventually, yeah, eventually she actually gains sentience and becomes kind of her own sexy robot who wants to fuck more people than just him. Yeah, yeah, he can't control it. That's awesome. Okay, so this has been sort of a tradition that you know this time of year you're doing a deep dive into like a psychosexual genre of cinema so this year you have been in the world of dead people dead people and you're doing a, like a deep dive also into the culture around it yeah so this is the first year i actually decided that i wasn't going to force myself to try and consume all the movies in January. I actually started last year around, I think like April, and I compiled over 60 necrophile films and just started to slowly watch all of them throughout the year because all the other concepts I've done have been easy watching in comparison. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, And I got the idea last year because I felt like I wasn't challenged enough by the topics and themes I had chosen before. And so I was like, wow, I want to choose something really challenging for myself, but also just would be challenging for other people. And it has been that. So just in the last year, consuming this amount of film, I also wanted to focus, I didn't want to pull it away from the idea of romance and just kind of watch stuff that was going to be shock value with gratuitous violence just happening to have a corpse. I really wanted to find things that a general person could watch it as a romance film and kind of understand what the main character is maybe going through, even though it's maybe it's like kind of morally corrupt. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so interesting about a lot of these movies that we're, we're going to talk about is they don't, or rather they treat the act of necrophilia as sort of like a coming of age thing, or, or rather not coming of age, an awakening, an awakening of your sexuality, a, a coming into your own. And they, they, they treat it with this like odd level of respect that is almost unsettling in its own right. Like they normalize it. You mean they treat the act of necrophilia as being, just not, not as taboo as it actually is. Or like close to godliness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That like you almost like root for the characters to like get their fucking nut on. It's like almost breaking away the fact that it's a fetish or like some sort of evil kink that it's actually. I mean, it is a paraphilia, which <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing at the evil kink. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it's sort of important to define that necrophilia is one of those things where I don't think you could describe as a kink because uh, like necrophilia play where you have a partner who consents to pretend to be dead. That's a kink. 
but as as angel pointed out a paraphilia is you know not something that you could do and remain morally intact shall we say more of a crime type of thing just a little bit just a little you guys want to go see a dead body there's one thing that you were bringing up in earlier conversations about the idea of consent and i i kind of want to clarify do you mean consent in necro play or within the act of necrophilia? Okay, so in terms of the movies, like the fictional movies, I was trying to find, and this this is hard, and I don't think I really accomplished it, but I tried to find films that had the most consensual necrophilia, which, you know, in the films, like that's with a person and a dead body, it's not play. I was trying to find films that had that. I found some instances of it, not throughout the entire film, but there were some instances. And I think part of that was either discussion of what to do with someone after, like if they really asked, like, please do this to me, like once I'm dead or, you know, something to talk about with one of the movies we're going to discuss is this idea of, If someone's a necrophile in life and they die and then another necrophile sleeps with their body, is that more consensual knowing that that person in life was into dead bodies? Oh, yeah. They can totally call dibs in that situation. Yeah. In In this fictional movie world. Go for it. I want a quick circle back to what you were just saying about looking for these movies that had more of a consensual arrangement between the human and the corpse, insofar as that's possible. Was it so that way the movies would go down easier in watching them? Or what was the the impetus to find this kind of fantastical idea of consent between a human and a corpse? I think it was because every time I do one of these lists, I try to find actual aspects of romance and actual enjoyment between the people. You know, movies like Aftermath, there's no romance in that. Yeah, hard pass. And watching movies like that, I mean, part of this was also to save my own sanity. It's not like I enjoyed watching like horrible violence happen to people, even if they're dead. And so... Finding movies where there was some amount of like love or care or just something past like complete control was more palatable for me, but I thought also would, you know, be a challenge and also be palatable for other people. I don't want to make people sick. I want them to be like, you know what, maybe I will sit down and watch that movie. Yeah, but also a little sick, perhaps. I don't mean, this is kind of reminding me of something. When you were writing your your World War II book, Sam, after you finished it, uh, I remember I reached out to you and I was like, hey, how you doing? I know how you do your research. You like live it. You live it, you know, and like in World War II, you know, not the kindest war that we've uh, ever waged as a population or a species. None of them are. But when when you were talking about like wanting to challenge yourself and wanting to challenge other people who might want to watch along with you. It reminded me so much of how I sort of fell down that rabbit hole, but also like narrowed the theme because I, for my book, I excluded mainstream films that felt like they were trying to present this like sunny superficial depiction of the war as like, here are the good guys on one side and the bad guys on the other side. And I just looked at the ones that were more honest about like, here's what people have to do when they're trying to survive. And sometimes people want to have sex during wartime and when things are horrible and like, how does that factor into it? Yeah. But also it like takes a toll on you when you, when you live in your research and the research you're doing is, uh, you know, a little gnarly. It sure does. But, (laughs) but I do think also, I feel like finding these different more nuanced angles is so important because sometimes really nasty genre cinema gets this rap where it's just like here are these basement dwelling straight white dudes who hate women and hate everyone and they're just watching these movies because they're gross people and they want to watch things that are gross and like obviously that's not why all of us that is kind of why I watch them but I mean, oh, well, come on. I'm just kidding <laughs> but 
<laughs> being able to talk about these sorts of this kind of like transgressive material in a sensitive, intelligent, and like you said at the beginning, surprisingly kind of wholesome way. Yeah. I think brings so much more to the overall conversation. It's like we don't all have to be Eli Roth grunting in a cave acting like we discovered fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the main show, the main episode, what we're going to do is each pick our personal favorite uh necrophilia movie. It's so so funny. Every time before I say uh necrophilia, I say uh necrophilia. I'm going to get better with that, folks. I promise. I'm going to do better. Uh necrophilia. Take a shot. Every time Charles says necrophilia, you'll be dead halfway through the episode. Just make sure you sign a consent form first. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're all going to kind of pick our, our favorite necrophilia movie and i will start my all-time favorite necrophilia movie is hands down far and away necromantic 2 the 1991 Jorg bootgerait film got him in trouble it got him in some trouble for sure so i saw the first necromantic and i hated it what i hated it i saw well i saw it when i was like a teenager and I was like Gorehound McDuff. You were expecting like an Italian splatter movie. I was. And instead you got this poem about cleaning up dead bodies and skinning rabbits. And honestly, I can't wait to rewatch it now. I'll probably like it more because I didn't like it. I never watched the second one. I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to watch Necromantic 2. I don't like Necromantic 1. And then on Valentine's Day, uh, the year before the pandemic, the Spectacle Theater in New York played it at midnight. And I went on a blind date to see Necromantic no, too. That's yes. hot. Not a blind. It was it was it was a Tinder date, but like it was the first time we had met, and I loved it. The movie was amazing and appalling, and I did not expect it to be so charming and so like just nice and like romantic and like not sort of. It, it was erotic in the sense that I felt like I was watching someone do their thing. Or try to figure out their thing. Yeah. Try to figure out how to make their thing work. It seemed like she had a pretty good idea. Well, she she goes through... So I think because I saw Necromantic as a teenager and was like, oh my God, what is this? I'm I'm pretty sure that the way I saw the movie, from what I remember, there was a very now expensive out-of-print DVD that my adorable high school boyfriend, Joe, who's still one of my close friends, bought me, but like he didn't want to watch it because he's a sweet and yeah. innocent person. But I just loved it so much that Necromantic 2 can't quite like budget from my heart. But like dead bodies aside, the way that it deals with a woman trying to take charge of figuring out what brings her sexual pleasure it's like surprisingly sensitive. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, even the first film too, because like his girlfriend is like, you lost your job? Bye. I'm taking this hot dead body you brought home and never talking to you again. Yeah, because she like worked at a morgue or something. Yeah, it is actually weirdly positive in the depiction of like women trying to enjoy themselves and yeah. not center like, a guy for sure because it's like uh, a dead body is is not a person it's a sex toy in oh, in, and, in this instance yeah and absolutely. in the beginning of it her dead boyfriend from the first one he is a sex toy yeah she's digging him up oh my gosh and it's so fucking gross and and it's what's so crazy though is how this movie like sam was saying was it, it came out and about I think it was 12 days after it was released in Germany, the band hammer came down and they pulled every fucking print of the movie. And the movie, basically, it, it became illegal where you could not own the print. And a movie theater was raided and this guy's house was raided. Yeah, they tried to destroy all the prints, right? They, they did. And like which, some... Which they hadn't done since... World Probably War II. 1945. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but wait, from what I remember, I think it's shot in both East Berlin and West Berlin and has this weird sort of unification theme. I'm not sure. I know that his later film, Der Todesking, does that. Yeah, I think Necromantic 2 does it 
as well. But I have actually a question for you because it's one of the only films I can think of that deals with two things. Number one, that issue of consent. It's like it doesn't feel weird to me that that she turns her dead necrophiliac boyfriend's body into a sex toy because he was part of it. It feels less like invasive, but also the fact that she finds all these necrophile homies and there's like a community of them and like they hang out and and watch movies together. Like the first wives club or something. Is there another movie that does either of those things? So in terms of a necrophile defiling a previous necrophile after death, no, not not to my knowledge. Like I did watch a lot of necrophile films and I didn't see that come up in any of them. And in terms of the second question about the homies, which also that is cute, like her little glasses book club-esque. Yo, uh, it's, that scene's incredible. But I think the only other one is maybe Love Me Deadly because oh. there is that yeah. like group. But at the same time, it's kind of portrayed as a cult and that they're pushing her towards it rather than this collective coming together to just kind of bullshit and talk about yeah. it. And just bond. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's so nice. It really is. And one of the things, so the movie, after it was banned some like guy was interviewing the director and was like, you know, how does it feel to be the most wanted filmmaker in Germany? And he's like, not, Sad. yeah, not very good. I don't like it. And he basically went on to say that the reason why this movie was so offensive to people and was so banned is because the, the movie never accuses Monica. It never makes her character out to be some villainous at yeah, any point. Demonized. Never. And it remains on her side throughout. That was the most offensive thing. The, what the censors ultimately said was it glorified violence, which is something that you can say about almost any fucking movie ever. In a weird way, it reminds me of, and this is definitely like a sly thing that happens throughout a lot of different national cinemas, is people will find a way to ban movies where women are openly sexual. Or like it makes me think of a couple of years ago, the UK banned different types of porn. And one of the oh, yeah. things that they banned was face sitting. Yeah, I remember that. I, I totally that. remember this shit. Like what? And, I... and their argument was sort of similar. Like they didn't say it glorifies violence, but they were like it glorifies strangulation. It's like, okay, so you're not banning literal rape porn where people are strangling women but face sitting is dangerous. Yeah, because yeah, it's strangling men. No, it's it, but like that's what they're saying it is. But no, it's because it's something that is strictly a matter of a woman receiving pleasure, you know, and a guy kind of getting his face sat on a little bit. But you know, it's and that's just like so offensive to stuffy British people. Yes, and like honestly, <laughs> to be honest, it's offensive to stuffy people the world yes. over. Yeah. And obviously, like necrophilia is a. <laughs> an offensive topic to begin with but like the fact that this movie it transgresses the idea of male power in a sexual relationship and that's just i think too shocking for for censors and the movie didn't get unbanned until some blessed beautiful film scholar wrote this article about how much it's like it's a perfect art film and that it's like a great movie that should be like, you know, cherished and celebrated. And like, oh, okay, it's a it's art, sure. And like they kind of quietly unbanned it. That's the thing, is the first film so the first film I only saw for the first time in twenty eighteen and I watched it with somebody that I was kind of seeing not seeing at first and they showed it to me and I didn't finish the film because we finished in other ways and it wasn't until months later that I was like maybe I should finish it and I actually really love the first film just because it's so sad I think it deals with a loss of romance and a loss of your personhood and just trying to like reconcile with the fact that you feel like you have nothing left 
Um, whereas the second film, I finally watched it. I got both of them in like some nice box set oh, with yeah. postcards oh, during yeah. the pandemic. That, that Arrow set? Yes. It's and beautiful. I watched the second one. I'm like, oh, I'll be fine, right? I liked the first one. I think the second film is more interesting, but I had to pause it. I won't likely watch the second one again for a long time because it made me physically ill. And it's because they do dead body stuff pretty damn accurate. The fucking corpses in that movie are rancid. They look They're too fetid. real. It's like you can see where the rot is starting on the face and the faces kind of swell up and they turn purple and black and they're peeling in certain places that if you put your hands on that face, it would be like pushing through a like trash bag that was like in the sun for so long that you just go right through it, you that know? That is very much what it's like. Yeah, oh. it, it's like the the puddle in the secret world of Alex Mack. And but, you're just... but it smells... And like, and, and, there, and there's describe. a scene where Monica is like, you know, straddling the corpse and like is like kind of doing her shit with it and she's completely naked. The actress, the character, I don't know where the line ends, starts gagging and is like about to fucking puke. And then the very next scene is this like cutesy date scene. With like, you know, it's like it's like a fucking rom-com with like Hugh Grant or something. It's insane. And I think what's so funny that is so admirable about Necromantic 1 and 2 is the first movie. It's a it's an art film. I think it's pretty safe to say that. Yeah. But it's an art film that attracts all of these gore hounds. And all that, of these gore and heads. has like the greatest non-hardcore cum scene of mm. all time. <laughs> but, but like, so this director gets all of these like gore head, you know, German splatter fans to watch an art movie. And then all of the art house people are like, oh, hell yeah, you're making a sequel. And he gets them to go watch this fucking like rom-com disgusting defilement movie. It's just like he's just fucking with his audience so hard. And it's so cool. So I have some problems with necrophilia movies because of how they usually show dead people, which it's it's like it's a mannequin. It's not rotting. It doesn't smell bad. And it's just like having worked in an actual morgue with dead people, like they don't look like people. And they have often all kinds of gross stuff going on, even if they just died a couple hours ago. And so the fact that the the corpses in these two movies, especially in the second movie, are so disgusting and the necrophiles acknowledge like I am attracted to this, but it's it's like when you see a movie that tries to present like let's say maybe a 90s erotic thriller that tries to present sex as this super kind of sterile perfect eroticized thing it's like that's not how most people have sex like it can be ridiculous it can be gross it can be funny and so the fact that he shows her really pursuing her pleasure and this particular we'll call it a fetish because it's a fictional film but it's also gross and she struggles with it i love that so yeah. much Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> quite in sync. Can we do it again with a little more effort, please? Just a second. I must drink something. Do you want to kick off movie number two, Angel? Yes. Hold on. Let me just turn my notepad. Oh my gosh. It looks like the Necronomicon. It definitely doesn't. It's like shiny with holographic pink squares. The, the Necronomicon <laughs> as designed by Lisa Frank. Bound in unicorn flesh. <laughs> Ooh, I need a movie on that, actually. That would be awesome. So my favorite necrophile film is Kissed from 1996. It's uh, directed by Lynn Stopkowicz. I feel like I always say her last name wrong, but it stars Molly Parker, who does such a good job. And it follows this girl, Sandra Larson, who is, it's kind of like a coming of age movie. We get to see her as a child coming to terms with the fact that she really seems to enjoy this kind of spiritual connection with properly burying and caring for dead things. And it starts with animals and then 
she's growing up, she's meeting friends and kind of introducing her like little girlfriend to this idea. And all of a sudden it becomes really obvious to her at a young age that what she's doing is not normal. Normal people don't want to dance around with dead things and, you know, maybe care for them and touch them and kiss them. And the movie follows her throughout her adulthood, slowly turning it into something that's more sexualized. She starts working, I think, with her parents' flower shop, and she starts driving the flowers around, and she ends up at a funeral home. And it occurs to her, like, oh, she could just be in the funeral home yeah. and then eventually becomes an apprentice there. And as time goes on, she gets to fulfill her sexual fantasies, but also spiritual fantasies of connecting with the dead bodies and almost crossing them over. Uh, and the film then turns, maybe not my favorite part of it, but as she becomes an adult going through college, she starts a romance with this guy who's just so enamored with her and the aspect of the taboo that she's doing that both her decision to do things and the relationship just falls apart, but into place at the end for both of them in a positive way. Yeah, I was struck by how earnest this movie was. Oh, it's like, like a Hallmark movie it about really necrophilia. It really is. It's insane. It, it's the kind of movie that could never exist in any other era other than the like mid-90s. In Canada. And Yeah, but like this was a time when studios didn't know what worked and like they knew indie movies were popular and this was an MGM movie. And it feels to me like any quintessential 90s kind of i don't want to say quirky but this like romance indie film the, like you indie know rom-com yeah yeah like a uh i can't think of like i don't know like reality bites or something you know except instead of winona wanting to become a film tv producer she just wants to bang some dead yeah. people the first time i saw the film was actually in a horror class when i was in college and it really divided the people in the class. Like I walked away with it like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I I really was watching it and I was like, this actress is so hot. Everything has like this beautiful blur filter. The cinematography is wonderful. The coloring like of the film is gorgeous. It feels like you're in someone's dream. Yeah. And you've got this person who's like, kind and caring and seems like this really good person that's doing something that morally I think a lot of people feel really upset by uh, for good reason. But you walk away from the film, at least I did, where I was like, I don't know if what she's doing the way she sees it is wrong yeah. because she sees it as this like all-consuming thing that she is deeply connecting with these corpses and finding the light herself but also finding it with them i mean if you break it down like it is just her getting a rocks off yeah. and a sense of control but yes but i feel like that is almost unfair to her to say that it's right. just that because i mean the movie starts off with her as a kid and it's like tasteful and you're and you're hearing her voiceover of her like describing how she was always like fascinated by death. And it's just so funny and insane to see this in the like perfect 90s way in that like almost like Miramax studio, like 90s indie movie way. It's just, it's wild. Like the movie ends with a Sarah McLachlan song playing. I caught him once. I asked him why. He said, what does it matter? It's all dead flesh. They can't feel anything. What do you think? I think they can. Something to talk about, you know, too, is the fact that, and maybe you can actually answer this, Sam, is the fact that while this movie isn't grotesque like Necromantic 2, everybody that she interacts with for a good part of the movie is embalmed and you know already has been through either like a formaldehyde process when she's in college 
or is all clean and ready to go into the casket? And is it accurate that this movie feels very clean in comparison to Necromantic 2? Like, there's not anything really gross other than a couple scenes of some blood happening. And is that, like, accurate? Well, I would say overall, yes. So I didn't work at a funeral home. I worked at the morgue. And the morgue is where you do autopsies. And nothing there is clean, basically. And pretty much you cut open someone's chest cavity and their head and you take out all their organs and you comment on things. And sometimes it can give you, if you don't know what the cause of death is, that's why you have to do it. Sometimes you have to do autopsies if there's a violent crime or if someone dies at work or in the hospital and there's no... Like things seem a little fishy, but basically what you do is you put all the organs that you haven't preserved in a bag, in a trash bag, you put it inside the empty chest cavity, you sew it back up and you give it to the funeral home and say, best of luck to you. Wow. Holy shit. You just put all their fucking organs in a doggy bag and sew it into their chest. It's like a 50 gallon hefty bag, not a doggy bag, but yes, the funeral home I think is really where they make a concerted effort to make dead people look as appealing as possible out of respect for their living loved ones. And so they do go through embalming. I mean, sometimes they just cremate them without embalming, obviously. But I still think... So, okay, this maybe is the first movie we've talked about on the show that I do not like because oh because the 90s indie vibe i can't stand 90s indie movies i i got a soft spot i mean like i don't like love them but i mean i grew up with them you know they were like to me before i watched art movies these were like the art house movies you know what i mean like that kind of so i think that might be why because it was like the other people i knew when i was growing up got really into like quentin tarantino and those miramax movies you're talking about meanwhile I started getting really into Italian horror and I was like, what is this bullshit? So like I wasn't ready for real art house movies. Mm. And I think it. I just like I don't like the vibe, but also the fact that like she magically has access to all these corpses who are beautifully preserved young men who have never been autopsied. It's like, what is this fantasy nonsense? Yeah, but the, the thing is, though, is that's what I liked that about it. I liked the fact that this was... Oh, and, and you should like I, it. I mean, and, and because, I mean, I look at it as the other side of the coin of Necromantic 2. Because both Which movies for sure are, are centering the pleasure of a woman whose ultimate desire is sex with a corpse. And one of well, them shows it for the gritty reality that it is, but does it in this, like, fucking, like goofy smiling chuckling tone and the other one does it in this like very very tasteful way that covers over you know like there's no gagging in this there's no but this is the one that you watch when you want to flick your bean around you know what i'm saying but but we've been we've been talking about how you know there's all this stuff going on that's maybe kind of spiritual but i don't think you could say she's interested in fucking She's interested in making love. Yes. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. yes. Which is a whole totally different thing Absolutely. where like you, it's not just about someone's body. You need to have some sort of perceived emotional or spiritual connection. And so it it really, it's like if Felicity wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, do you, think, do you think Sarah McLaughlin's scene kissed? I hope so. Me too. Sarah McLaughlin seems like she's open-minded. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's no Poe. You know Poe? Who is? Poe yeah. is the sister of the guy who wrote House of Leaves. Really? Hell yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, their parents are artists too. Well, so I feel like the lady from Kissed kind of should have her own TV show. Oh, like, oh my God, I wish. Like even so, even though I don't like... 90s indie movies or 90s indie like rom-coms i of course grew up watching buffy and can imagine this whole show about how like as she gets older it's like what challenges is she gonna face finding her next like 
romantic acquisition at this funeral home. Uh. But it, the thing that interests me the most about this movie, and I'm so glad that the first two we talked about are movies centered on women, is in the real world, talking about real necrophilia, women make up a very small percentage of actual necrophiles which I'm sure no one is surprised by that information. But it's like they show up disproportionately in films about necrophilia. And as far as I know, I don't know if you've come across counter examples, but as far as I know, the only real life necrophile to have openly like been prosecuted and then given interviews talking about their experience is Karen Greenlee. Who is a woman who this film is based on? There is actually two other people because, of course, I spent like a lot of time like trying to read about this as a concept. Yeah. There are other there's two other people that were prosecuted as well. But it's where Karen Greenlee, I guess, at least still was doing it up in the morgue situation or not the morgue yeah, situation. Yeah, she stole the, a hearse. Yeah. And, and that, that's how they found her out. Oh she went for a joy ride with her date. <laughs> These other two people, like, they were more along the lines of serial killers who were finding people to murder and then oh, yeah. See, commit, so, which isn't, yeah. So I feel like that should be disqualified in the sort of, in, in the terms of our conversation here. Like, yes. Yeah. But me, I mean, but that is... So this is why I think that these movies are so wholesome and the act of necrophilia is a literal crime <laughs> is because these movies are fantasy. These yeah. are safe, safe and, and, and like and like san- fantasies and fetishes are literally by definition the opposite of reality. Yeah. The, 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 they're polar opposite. That's why I think sex and masturbation are also polar opposites. There's nothing in common between the two of them. And like necrophilia in real life is like rape in a way. I mean, in a not many, in, not in a way. It's yes, literally, it's, yeah. it's literally rape. Yeah. And in these movies, it's not because it's a fantasy and it's, it's, well, it's, it's an imagined version well, of this these, taboo thing in these two, in movies. these two movies. Yeah. All right. You know, <laughs> let's, let's move on to your pick. Cause I imagine you're going to go away from our safer first two movies. I, so I sure am. And I am brimming with excitement to talk about my movie, but something I'm even more excited to talk about first. So I started collecting vintage hustlers and I'm always trying to expand my collection. If you have some, you're trying to sell. But one of my favorite ones is the April 1983 hustler, which has this amazing feature article all about Karen Greenlee. The cover of this hustler is insanity. It's it's awesome. I know podcasting is not a visual medium, but holy no, but shit. Let me paint a picture. It's this sort of shocked woman wearing a bridal veil and what's clearly meant to be bridal lingerie. To the right of her head, it says photo special, a girl and her snake. And the photo spread is amazing. But the actual articles, the first one is about the Atlanta child murders and how the FBI fucked that up. Yeah, that's Hustler for you, And baby. then the second article is Profile. She had sex with the dead. And it's all about Karen Greenlee before... So there's this incredible book. If you haven't checked it out, highly recommend it, called Apocalypse Culture. That was one of the first, I think, books put out by Feral House, who are a really, really incredible publishing company, But she actually did an interview with Apocalypse Culture that I think she regretted doing later and like changed her name. So they asked her, tell us about what this was like. And the thing that like, obviously, we can't really talk too much about in this episode is when you have, I think, examples of real world female necrophiles like Karen Greenlee, she has this awful history of childhood sexual abuse, rape by a one of her teachers when she was 14 or 15, a history of schizophrenia. And so it's not like Monica M or the the lady in Kissed who are relatively well adjusted and like know that they have to hide these things. Yeah. And and so it's just it's just so interesting that there's a cultural fascination around this, but 
before we move on to my movie, I also just, I don't think I've ever talked on our show about how much I love Hustler and miss Larry Larry Flint very much. He should have become president. Yeah. But also, you were in Hustler, and I meant to ask you about this at the beginning when you were talking about your zine and your work. Okay, yeah. Um, it's it, Sorry, it still doesn't feel like it happened in a lot of weird ways, and I'm still like just accepting it, too. But last year, I was interviewed for Hustler to talk about the intersection between porn and horror and why both mediums seem to attract a lot of the same audiences like why do so many horror fans go to porn conventions and why are so many porn stars obsessed with horror films and i was mostly interviewed because i had starred in a gore-based vampire pornographic film back in 2019 and so what's, what's it called uh vania uh, it is my favorite type of son- like subgenre vampire film where someone thinks they're a vampire, but they're not. Um, That's and- awesome. <laughs> so, you know, they're going through the whole vampire's kiss, Nicolas Cage moment. And this article, I was interviewed basically on, you know, why I think that is. And I do think to a certain degree, a lot of it revolves around how it stimulates people, because I think porn and horror on the only real genres that are trying to elicit a physical response from your body. Yes. And so it makes sense that the people who enjoy being stimulated like that would like both genres. A- an instinctual response almost, you know, that like fear of death and, you know, getting all horned up. Those are instinctual. Those are things that you can't control that just happen. And yeah, they are absolutely intertwined and also opposites but they're like opposites in like that magnetic sense it's interesting that you bring that up and i'll have to try to dig up some things to send you but there's a lot of academic writing that talks about the relationship between grotesque comedy and horror and how things like the commedia dell'arte in the 16 and 1700s is sort of a parallel to things like you know, explicit sexuality. Of course, they're academics, and I don't think they wanted to bring porn, or they weren't ready to bring yeah, porn right. into That's it. That's not what we're about, but, though, people. But, like, they talk about how comedy elicits the same kind of physical response, and often comedy is about exploring the sort of physical aspects of the body that might make people uncomfortable. And those sort of, the way that all those different things are different sides of the same coin and can respond yes. to each other. And, so and also this reminds me of the idea that um, death is not something to joke about, you know, or, or that like you need to take this seriously. You can't joke about it, but also the kind of like weird relief you get when like you can laugh. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Jokes in the morgue all you, the you time. You have to, you have to, yes. but also how you keep your sanity. But now I'm thinking of like, you know, the other taboo is that like death is not something to be attracted to, you yeah. know, it's not something that you are supposed to get any sort of pleasure out of. It is the absence of pleasure and it's the absence of comedy, which is why it is kind of hot and it's pretty fucking funny. Well, there is like a whole through researching this topic i mean there is a whole thing about how paraphilias just in general follow this kind of line of logic where it's something that you know isn't right you know it's taboo or you have a lot of fear about it and then it becomes kind of this like interest in it and this sometimes sexualized interest in those things because if you're applying something that's pleasurable rather than causing you distress and fear, that thing is a lot easier to come to terms with. Oh, totally. It's, I feel like the way this is most often translated in movies is when you have things like maniac or don't go in the house or movies about, or peeping Tom movies about serial killers where they are maybe more sympathetic to the serial killer character. And they show them being abused as children by a parent who scares them or makes them wash their hands yes, a million times but it never lets them off the hook like, no no, no, but, no but it still endears you to them but i feel like those types of things or those types of stories go a long way to trying to show you how those sorts of paraphilias develop sexually when you're experiencing these 
these things that seem very scary and non-sexual while you're going through puberty or while you're a child. It's, it's wild the way filmmakers try to make sense of things. Yeah. <laughs> that, that we have a lot of trouble understanding. All right. Speaking of filmmakers trying to make sense of things. And speaking not at all of female protagonists or... No. I had a feeling you were going to pick some fucking dirtball okay, shit. Okay. So I, I really... I was so close to picking Love Me Deadly, which I highly recommend. It's wonderful. It's a kind of obscure early 70s exploitation movie that has yet another much more tragic and mentally ill, confused female protagonist who is a necrophile. But I had to pick Corpse Mania. I'm sorry. The Shaw Brothers movie. Yes, the... The great Kuei Chi Hung, who directed so many important early Shaw Brothers, super gross films, also made Boxer's Omen. But a lot of his films are direct precursors to Category 3 movies. And oh, yeah. Corpse Mania, I think the only thing it has in common with the other movies we talked about, other than the necrophilia, is like Necromantic 2, it wants to be as gross as possible. Yes. Yeah. I think Corpse Mania... it. it it's one of the few of those like precursor cat three movies that really get under my skin because of its use of like worms and maggots and maggots on people's face. And they like have that shit going on like the whole movie, the whole movie and, like, <laughs> and, like during like a fucking scene. And like it's just so gross. And the character, the like the, like the lead, the invisible man, the invisible man <laughs> is like villainous. Uh, Lee Zheng Huan. I don't want to give, and I know that we haven't been giving a crazy amount of plot details. Like you, you very tastefully alluded to, but didn't spoil the ending of Kissed. And I kind of want to do the same thing here. The thing about Corpse Mania that's so crazy is it is a movie about a guy who's a necrophile, but it's like also a Shaw Brothers movie with martial arts scenes and it's also a police procedural about a detective yeah. trying yeah. to find a serial killer. It's also a Jalo movie. Yeah, and, and it's it's a bit of a mess. But like it in has that, some pacing issues. But, but in that way of ooh. like if if you like those kinds of movies, like eventually that kind of style of messy Hong Kong Shaw Brothers movie is like so good. There's a scene. I'm pretty sure it's Corpse Mania. I haven't seen it in a while. I think we watched it on a vacation. We went. We did. We went to Vermont and we watched like Corpse Mania. And I downloaded a movie called like Raped by the Genie for us to watch. <laughs> it was a beautiful time we had. But uh, there's a scene in Corpse Mania, and I remember we like rewinded it a couple times. I'm pretty sure it's to movie. try to. Oh. It's like, there's a scene where like a guy falls out of a fucking and building. And his head explodes. Yeah. Is that's that movie, right? <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. What oh my a God. fucking gem. So Corpse Mania, I also felt like I had to pick because there are so many like gross out, gory 70s and 80s necrophilia movies that have these types of characters who are basically just serial killers. But this one it feels kind of special in the realm of male protagonist necrophilia movies because he spends so much time just trying to get all the details right. Like when you work in a morgue, oftentimes if bodies come in who have been out in nature or in a certain state of decay, there are for sure going to be maggots hopping off of them trying to get into your hair. But this guy the maggots and the bugs are part of his erotic fixation. Mm. So he has to like cultivate them more on the bodies, which it's just, it's really disgusting, but it's also, how would you do that? If you, okay. So if you were this guy and you wanted to get extra maggots on the corpse, you were about to fuck. What would you do? Go to the butcher and get some meat out of the trash. There you go. Put it on the body. How about you? You're up. I just, I can't even contemplate that. (laughs) Maggots are so... I can't do maggots. <laughs> oh, I know what I would do. I would, like, take a bite out of a hundred apples and just toss them. I mean, if you just put the body, like, in a park or somewhere outside, the maggots will come. Yeah. That's nice. You don't have to coax them. It's their job. <laughs> it's why nature invented them. They're oh meant God. to help it's funny. things decay. I'm, like, hearing this in, like, you know... uh field of dreams voice like if you build it they will come do not come 
Do not come. <laughs> it's fucking gross. So I actually wanted to ask you, are there any of these... Is that rain? It is rain. <laughs> All okay, right. Hey, so, we got a little ambiance here. Yeah, me talking about corpse mania has okay. apparently summoned a storm. Yeah, n- now now <laughs> there the- are maggots. It's like the beyond. There are maggots bouncing no, no, off no. of the windows. It's, it's way more wholesome than that. The pure moods soundtrack is now playing. <laughs> and Enya is about to play. Yeah. Oh yeah. While you while you wash down a corpse who is twenty years old and has not suffered any injuries. <laughs> uh I wanted to ask you, and we can talk more about Corpse Mania. I don't necessarily mean to cut off that discussion, but I wanted to ask if you have any favorite movies that are not the more wholesome, romantic kind that fit into this necrophilia subgenre. Like anything you watch that you were like, okay, this is kind of gross and it's not... Yeah, actually, I just recently, and you could argue that the end of it is still like cute, but I actually just watched Matador. Oh my God, it's one of my favorite movies. Oh God, what's Matador? So, oh, so beautiful. Oh my God, it's one of El Motivar's first films. Oh. It's it features a young. So for those of you who don't know his work and don't know a lot about Spanish cinema, and you only know Antonio Banderas for his Hollywood films and for his wonderful voice performances in the Puss in Boots series. (laughs) He has a Spanish career that I cannot even begin to describe to you unless you have seen these films. In Matador, he's like 18 years old and he plays an aspiring rapist who just like can't get it together and figure out how to do it right. Oh my God. I mean... an aspiring matador but well yeah that's one way to look at it but but like to the point where he attempts to rape this woman and she he's so fucking pathetic that she takes pity on him and is like get your get your life together but the the movie is a motivar is so funny Almodovar is amazing but the movie is about a male serial killer and a female serial killer and the competition slash relationship that they develop, I do not want to ruin this film, wow, no, but it is seriously, no no it's probably in my top 20 favorite films of all time. Wow. I want to oh watch that God, like, so tomorrow. Good. It sounds amazing. It's one of the ones that watching it, I felt like even though I didn't obviously didn't agree with like what they do to other people. They are serial killers. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't condone serial like, killing. You kind of get this unless it's joe spinell you kind of just get to like understand them throughout the film and with their own like camaraderie it's like soothing in a really weird way and i was like erotic as hell oh my god it's so sexy like truly what was the one movie you were telling me about earlier it looks fucking crazy it's got like a motorcycle thing going on in it that was Grave Robbers? Yes, not to be confused with Grave Robbers, we, we the got, Mexican film. We got very confused because we thought it was the Mexican movie, which yeah. Vinegar Syndrome put out, but it turns out Vinegar Syndrome put out another Grave Robbers, and it's a necrophilia movie. What a fucking disgusting company Vinegar Syndrome is. God bless them. Yeah. Yeah, Grave Robbers, I saw that last year while trying to like find more films like this, and oh my God, like it was so, it's so funny and so good, but also is completely different in a lot of necro films because it's an entire town of necrophiles whoa so it's sort of like uh dead and buried kind of yeah oh hell yeah okay so this this goes back to my 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 necromantic two question is like but they're not chilling and talking about it it's like everybody knows but they're not having like Oh, they're so not they're having not. like sit down and tease talking about it. It's just, just like, like the normal humming baseline of their social behavior. There's yeah. no need to like have a convention over it. It's just like, wow. oh, yeah, we just all read the paper in the morning and, you know, we all fuck the corpse in the backyard. Plus, like it's different in the fact that a lot of these movies are about some sense of control. And I actually feel like they don't really care to control the people that they integrate into the town. They're just like, eh, like if you could just like die, like that'd be chill because like we kind of have to go on with like our normal daily life. Wow. They don't really care about anyone in particular. Like it could be anybody. So They're... there's not a serial killer vibe. 
I mean... But, like, or no, there's not the vibe. It exists, but it's not, like, a vibe. Yeah, because it's just, like, it's just normal. They're just like, oh, yeah, like, when are you going to... Yo, Grave Robbers wow, sounds awesome. I can't wait to watch It sounds this. so awesome. It really is fun. Early 80s? Yeah, I think it was 1981, and uh, not to plug or anything, but oh, I'm plug actually... Away. I'm going to be plug. doing a movie marathon on February 18th, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But we're going to screen Grave Robbers Hell as our yeah. first film. All right, so. let's, let's wait. We'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll watch it during that. Oh, That's fuck yes. That's awesome. So, uh, as well as some others. And actually, I did want to bring up this short film really quickly with the question you just asked. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm going to... It's Le Tete Fraud, or The Cold Head. It's a French short film. And... It's very cute. It's gorgeous. It's in black and white. And it is completely about someone just getting their rocks off with a head, like a decapitated head. But hopefully in a better way than high tension. Yes. Oh, um. That's the best scene in the yeah. movie. <laughs> but with this this short film, it's like actually really cute, but it is it's it's someone's head giving somebody else head the circle of life it is it's truly. really like fun and it also has like a female lead that's enjoying her own sexuality with something Love we're also it. gonna screen that it's cute and it is really morbid but it also ends on a comedic note so you feel like you've just watched like someone have a really good time in a really like kind of gross setting and then you get to laugh at the end. That's so nice. Uh, that is. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited yeah. for your marathon. That's going to be a ball. That's going to be so much fun. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I love a theme. It's, and hearing that anytime I hear that someone else goes psycho on a theme, I'm like, oh, I feel a little less alone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. Happy Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, thank you. Is there anything else other than the marathon and your zine that you want to plug uh i do want to say that i'm doing the marathon and also people who are contributing and helping me with the zine are the guys from quality violent cinema um it's brock and christian and they run quality violent cinema as a podcast but also a discord server and they stream movies like once a month. Nice. Yeah, it's a pretty chill community on there, especially because they do watch a lot of like maybe more hard to digest films. And then you actually just get to listen to them talk about it. They do interviews with people. That's I've done awesome. an interview with them before. And they just seemed like a really good community basis to help me with this process. As well as like, yeah, it's just I want to be able to show this to more people than maybe the three friends who'd be interested in watching yeah. these films with me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and two of us are here. Yeah. That's us. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, do you have any uh, plugs or shout outs or anything? Uh, number one, my Godard series on my Patreon. I'm doing sort of like a solo podcast type of thing that will be going on hopefully all year unless I, you know, die first. This February, I will be on a bunch of Projection Booth episodes because he is doing a French cinema theme. So that sort of ties into my Godard series, and I get to talk about all kinds of things that I love. And of course, we haven't shouted them out in a while, but our network, Cinepunks, Liam, Josh, we love you. And they have so many other shows and so you should definitely check them out. Yeah. And honestly, if you're thinking about getting in the podcast game, don't. But if you're thinking about it, <laughs> Cinepunks will fucking get you set up. They, they, they're they so helpful. They're awesome. And if you want to like write something and you don't want to get published anywhere, like Cinepunks, you know, you got some, got some shit, they'll publish your shit for you. They're awesome. Talk to them. They're going to hook you up. You need to borrow any money. Liam's got you covered. <laughs> Seriously. Well, well, let's see if Liam makes it to the end of this episode. Oh. Oh <laughs> and rough cut t-shirts. Buy some shirts from them. Liam fucking like... What's Liam do? He's like, he's like a co-runner guy. Yes, Liam is the one who will be shipping your shirts. He ships them. And takes care of all of the admin organization. Justin does the designs and is... I think like me, basically every hour to the next hour is just a different project. Yeah. So it's like you need people to keep the ship afloat. Yeah, that's I, I, I wear a different Cinepunk shirt every day of the fucking week. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, I have one shout out. This one goes out to friend of the show, Instagram user Beats and Blood. 
he's got an Insta page that I go to to discover new films and see, you know, shit that I love that I've always loved. And then I, then, then sometimes he posts shit that I fucking hate. I'm like, I hate this goddamn movie. But then I'll read the thing he wrote about it. And I'm like, oh, all right, I guess I'll watch this fucking movie again and see if I like it. And then half the times I watch it because if he posted it and then I, I, I wind up liking it. It's nice. Those are my favorite comments, honestly. When, if I, you know, do a podcast episode or a commentary or or write an article and people comment like, okay, I didn't like this movie, but your enthusiasm for it is making me want to rewatch it. Yeah, and like, he's got the best enthusiasm. It's super infectious. <laughs> Last month, he posted a stack of just like the nastiest fucking movies that he's about to watch. And Necromantic 2 was in there. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, dude, I, I love this movie. And, and so this episode's dedicated to you, you dirtball sicko freak. Stay healthy, keep <laughs> and being all awesome. And all the romantic dirtballs. Yes, yeah, we love you, Beats and Blood. Happy Valentine's Day, Happy everyone. Valentine's Happy Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah.